Who is it? Yeah. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Blogcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2016. Keep the change, you filthy animal. You're listening to episode 57 of the Claim the Throne Blogcast. I'm Cabba and I'm here with a very special guest, Wayne Schwoss. How are you today, Ash? Uh, pretty good, Paul Pios. How are you? <laughs> yeah, not bad. Just uh, David Wirapunda and uh, Gavin Wanganine, basically. Oh. That's great to be back here again after a bit of a busy weekend with some shows. We were gigging it up, which is our first for a long time for us. Are you feeling a bit uh, knackerooed, as they say, in Malaysia, or are you all right? Not one bit. I feel wow. fucking awesome. Good shit. Yeah. That's a, a response good. you normally get from Jim like after yeah. a big, big night on the piss. And you get up and you're hell hungover and you're like, how you going, man? And he's like, take a fucking guess with a big smile on his face <laughs> as he cracks open a beer. Yeah, pretty fucking That's you unstoppable, at the moment. Hey? Yeah, I feel pretty good. Like, I think the uh, practice paid off. Practice makes decent. And um, yeah, I did some between, uh, I would say the last two weeks. I've been doing probably half an hour of practice every second day. Yeah, wicked. And, and uh, yeah, you can feel it. <clears throat> yeah, it's like not really much. I haven't had much time to dedicate uh, to that lately, but man, it made a hell of a difference. I played uh, two sets with uh, one with Suffer and Rot and one with Claim the Throne. Yeah. Um, and did that two nights in a row. And I was still pretty buggered and could have definitely played better. Um, but at the same time, like a lot, <laughs> I played a lot better than I would have if I didn't do just a bit of practice course you sounded bloody good to me it was nice to be able to watch you on stage whilst i'm not playing for a change i get to see you with uh, the old blokes from suffer and rot uh, and yeah i thought thought you sounded wicked really uh no. brought their their sound out quite a lot more i guess um yeah you could sort of hear a lot more in the songs what was going on some good accented parts and things like that sounded a lot heavier um really cool they got a new bass player as well which is also the first time i've seen them playing with him which was spectacular. So yeah, all, that all was good. good. No, that was cool, man. And I've got to say, I haven't played with another band, even jammed with anyone else for fucking ages now. It must have been probably a couple of years times. ago. Yes, actually, that is the last time. And I don't even remember when that was. Mm-hmm. When was that? Oh, that's been a good, probably close to 12 months, to be honest. Feels like even more than that, possibly. <laughs> But yeah, who knows? Anyway, that's um, that was pretty cool. But yeah, the shows themselves were pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the Perth one was was out of control. Pretty awesome crowd, heaps of fun. Just had a really good vibe about it. Um, I thought Unravel were a pretty cool band. Uh, on that sort of um, new sounding version of Entombed and Bloodbath sort of thing, they had that kick with a bit of a hardcore edge. I don't know. Yeah. What did you think of them? Yeah, I enjoyed them a lot, actually. And it's the first time I've seen them, and I know that they apparently have two guitarists, and they only had one playing on this show. But that being said, it sounded bloody heavy as it was, so I can only mm. imagine what it's like with double those guitars. They sound really, really heavy. And yeah, I think that's a good description that you gave as well. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool to see a band that I've actually never heard of before <laughs> yeah. in the Perth scene that... that you know, it's not their first gig. They've been around for a while. They've even just recently been over east. And yeah, it was surprising. They were all very pro and really good at their instruments and 
had you know unique gear and stuff like that like they were really conscious of what they were using and yeah it's unusual to see that for a band you know for an opening band that i've never even heard of yeah um, before we were looking for polite as well and um and like you say it's someone different and i think we've sort of always prided ourselves on having those different lineups when we book our own gigs at home um we try and not rehash the same lineups that are going around every other gig at, at the moment so it's nice to bring some fresh faces onto the scene where possible and um, yeah people seem to get down early and check out the new stuff going around which is good yeah no it's cool we also had dissectomy of course from malaysia those guys are how would you describe them melodic death metal blackened melodic death or something like that legendary cunts <laughs> yeah fuck that's funny <laughs> eh? leon yeah. the cunt low <laughs> yeah actually i was <laughs> thinking earlier today i don't know why we didn't get a bit of a podcast going with him while he was over here um, yeah. talk about the Malaysian scene but I think that'd be something we should look into soon yeah I'm sure there'll be opportunities for that but yeah I think it was more time constraints if anything oh yeah yeah but they seem to go down really well I thought they were actually really really good live um, mm. even better than, than on CD to be honest and he, yeah Leon's got a real uh, real charisma about him on stage and is aware of his surroundings and, and talks to the crowd as appropriate uh, they were super heavy and they seemed to sell heaps of stuff, so glad that they could uh, do that while they're over here. Mm. Yeah, no, that was cool, man. Very, very cool. And uh, we had um, Septillion on the Bunbury show as well, also who I thought were really cool. Um, yeah, they have a pretty mm. legit, legit uh, melodic black metal sort of sound. Um, they're pretty tight, eh? Yeah, big time, big time. Yeah. I think they got a bit of a future ahead of them, hopefully. Yeah, and um, of course, Aiden, the singer of Septillion, played for Wrath of Fenrir on drums, like uh, at the Bellacore show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and that was um, you've done that. Yeah, before. that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is true. Last minute, I think he had a bugger all notice or something, and pulled it off. So yeah, pretty interesting to see someone just like one week playing drums and the next week singing and playing guitar. <laughs> it's fucking yeah. weird. Really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, what did you feel sort of like went well at the gig and what could we have done better? Like I'm thinking it was cool how every band had the same back line. I think mm. it's generally pretty helpful. If you know, you bring along your staples, your guitars or your your cymbals and your pedals and that, but if we can keep like all the same cabs on stage and, you know, most of the drums definitely is a huge help. Less shit lying around and easy changeovers and all that it was pretty cool yeah i've really found over the years that especially with touring you end up playing on backline kits all the time on tour and they're generally pretty similar like you get a five-piece kit kick snare two rack toms and a floor tom and enough stands for at least hi-hat ride and a couple of crashes and if you can kind of deal with that you're always going to be all right it's only occasionally you'll get like a really small kit and i know there's a perception out of there like especially um some drummers who use minimal stuff they're like why do these metal guys need all these toms and all that bullshit <laughs> but come on like the nature of the music is to play a lot of fills and it does get very boring if you've only got like as a drummer it gets boring to play if you've only got like one sound on your rack tom and your floor and some things just aren't quite possible with the same texture with smaller kits. Um, 
but yeah, so I f- fucking cut a long story short. <laughs> having I I would love to see venues in Perth having a backline of just a basic five piece um, setup, drum kit, couple of cabs, um, and even even just some basic ass fucking like a bass head and a couple of guitar heads. Um, but although that's not as necessary. Just yeah, you know what I mean. Just to cut down when we're trying to load out and in of amps the other day, it was impossible, and I was like flipping off taxi drivers to get them to move. <laughs> amps didn't want to let me drive my car down there at one in the morning to pick it up because someone had previously hit um, the sound mm. engineer's nice car, and you know it's like that's totally cool. I get that, but at the same time, like you need to provide an alternative. And if there's that many bands coming through amplifier, I'm pretty sure it's not just me who would love a backline. No, it definitely makes life a lot easier, I think, than, you know, every band member having to drive their own car in and, and all the loading and all that. It means you can have a few drinks, which obviously the venue would benefit from if you're, you're buying more, more beers over the bar and whatnot. Probably mm-hmm. a bit of a shout-out to uh, the Hen House Live, which is just starting up at um, the Badlands in Perth, that little local venue. Um, and I think Rob was saying there they're going to have a a bit of a, a staple backline, obviously being a bit of a smaller venue that they don't want all the bands bringing their own stuff, but pretty awesome if you can just rock up, plug in and play and leave, not have to pack your car and none of that. Because mm, it's a like a massive public liability slash OHS um, issue, especially like I'm only talking about Amplifier because we played it the other day, but you're loading up and down stairs, four bands, you're halfway up the stairs, someone tries to come down with a drum kit, few drinks i'm sure people spilling them you know you can easily hurt yourself or pull a muscle bloody going up the stairs with gear i've i've overdone it with um like actually do you remember when we used to drag amps and cabs and shit downstairs all the time as well Oh yeah the band room was packed and it's just a nightmare and that's everywhere like for instance the civic used to have that bit that opens up Mm. um and all the bands could load in there but then that creates a problem that um, you know, people are side of stage playing drum kits in there, fully setting them up. But now it's just a tiny little room and you're tripping over yourself. You're getting in the way of the other bands as they're playing on stage. And yeah, backlines would be killer. And all the big festivals, you know, Perth Fests, like your um, Bastard Fest used to do it. I'm sure Stormrider has a backline, um, Rust in Perth and all these sort of things. Um you know, they they do the smart thing. They've got that many bands. Why not just do it to a smaller uh, gig as well? Three or four bands. Yeah. And I think it's just good for bands to organise it between themselves as well, even if it's, you know, just a four-band bill. Uh, I think it's good for communication and good way to meet the other band members by, you know, just flick them a Facebook message and say, hey, I'm going to have my cab at this gig. If you want to use it, it'd be pretty cool because then I can just set it up on stage and we none of us have to worry about it the rest of the whole gig. Mm, mm. Um, before you know it, you are Mr. Popularity like Ash. <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the problems with drumming is the people freak out that they're going to hit their kit too hard or break it or something. Yeah, when and that, that's understandable. Totally, because some people are dickheads. Um, and I've certainly, back in the old Claim of Throne, constant funnel days, oh, yeah. had like beer spilt all over my kit and pedals and stuff like that. And which is why I was always the one offering to lend my kit because I <laughs> thought, fuck, this thing gets destroyed anyway. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I, I've even thought of getting just a sort of a more moderately priced drum kit for that very reason. Um, but yeah, it would be nice not to have to take gear. Like Bunbury was awesome with uh, Ash from another Ash drummer from mm-hmm. Septillion um, providing his kit. That was cool, man. And you know, the configuration was slightly different, but yeah, little few little movements and changeover was done in five minutes. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. And I guess, uh, yeah, how about our set in general? It felt pretty good. We played a few new songs for the first time ever. Three, actually, which is more than we were really going to play. But, yeah, hopefully people don't mind. I know everyone always just wants to hear your old songs. But uh, I think, yeah, when you're playing local shows and, you know, we're getting ready to kick off new album stuff, it's nice to be able to practice that stuff live and see how it goes down and just warm into it a bit. Um, but yeah, seem to get pretty good feedback on them. Yeah, I feel that this worked better doing three new songs at a show because when we introduced Forged in Flame, you know, we had one song, World Grows Dull, that we played for six months at every <laughs> every second um, or every month we had a gig and we played it a bunch. Then Grand Destruction got stuck in there. And by the time we got to the launch, you know, we were playing... They felt like old songs, whereas here, it really was kind of exciting. It's the first time we played three songs on stage in one hit. Um, you know, they weren't too long, I don't think. No. Nah. Went pretty I heavy. I thought it was right. Yeah, the, all the feedback was how super heavy they were, which is cool, I guess. It's weird they don't feel that heavy to me. No, I, I guess because we know them a bit more and we know the melodies and stuff in there, but perhaps... um the on-stage sound might not always be as clear as we know the songs. It might just sound like a big slab of heaviness. And I guess, um, you know, when it when a new song, new heavy track like that is crammed bet- between Set Sail on Ale and Two Pints of Honey, <laughs> <laughs> it probably has that heavier effect, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, that's um, cool. I thought it was cool how he played uh, Hunting the Stars from the first album that I was originally sort of against not against but thought you were joking when you suggested it but super glad yeah. that we did it and um, <coughs> yeah it's funny whenever we play that old stuff live in Perth it always goes off the most people mm. know know the songs a lot more and, um, yeah and like you are saying it's nice to break it up with, with a bit more of a flowing sort of uh, bustling tune yeah and it's a different style for me playing wise I'm sure it's same for you guys just sort of a bit more relaxed in parts, but there's still enough like thrashiness, heaviness to it to make it interesting to play as well. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoy playing that song. It's kind of like a, it's a cheat for me because it starts mm-hmm. fast and then I've got like a massive breather of cruisy playing and then it ends fast. Yeah. So, yeah, I reckon it's awesome. <laughs> Good one. Any other cool stuff from the weekend? Drinking. Um, yeah, drinking a lot. That was cool. And it wasn't really nice to have a... I don't know. There was just a different feeling about the whole weekend. Even going down to Bunbury, like... It didn't seem stressful at all. Slept in the fucking Saturday morning. I think maybe because I don't work Saturday mornings anymore. Oh, yeah. Where I used to. It used to be such a, a mission. Like, I'd be buggered by a fucking the time I got to Bunbury. Whereas, you know, this weekend it was really cruisy and... You know, got some food, fucked about, had a few drinks, played the show. It was, yeah, man, it was fucking awesome, hey? Yeah. 
Cool. I mean, yeah, the turnout was a bit of a letdown over there. I think next time we do a uh, a two-date WA thing, we'll probably try a different town out for something new. Mm. If anyone out there's got any recommendations, hit us up, facebook.com slash claim the throne. Mm. Maybe an Albany or a Geraldton or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too because no matter what direction you go in, you've pretty much only got one option. It's not like <laughs> you can loop around from Albany to Esperance because it's going to take you five hours to drive, Yeah, you know, or Perth Perth down to Albany. It's going to be two hours and then another four hours. And, you know, these things can be done, but that's, man, go to the States and you're driving into another state driving <laughs> four hours, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... Anyway, that was pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. So what's on the to-do list now? Do we play more gigs? Hopefully never play a gig ever again. <laughs> um, no, nah, just kidding. We're having a week off from jamming, I think well-deserved. Tonight we usually would jam on a Tuesday. Yeah. Um, yeah, giving me a chance. I dived into the new recordings last night for the first time, definitely in a week or so, because um, leading up to the gig... And yeah, just kind of saw where we were at and had a bit of a muck around with some editing and basically spent two hours doing it and then deleted everything I'd done <laughs> um, deliberately because I'm really conscious this time of of over-editing or, or like the need to edit, like thinking that it's not going to all flow together. So yeah, I did a bunch of stuff and I consolidated a bunch of vocals down to one or two tracks that were formerly six tracks. And then I kind of went like, well, what am I doing making the perfect track? Because each of these things has their own kind of character. Um, yeah, just kind of getting a mixed perspective while I'm editing sort of thing. And I don't think... I was initially very worried about how long all that shit was going to take, but I don't think it's going to be too much longer. Um, not like one week or anything, but not exactly more than a fortnight, I don't think. Because, yeah, I think we performed pretty well. Mm. Well, that was um, the whole idea that we've been crappy on about all along, I guess. Um, so I'd hate, yeah, hate to ruin all of that by you having to spend hours and hours and hours and hours doing it. Is it the sort of thing you can, um, I don't know, just export whatever we got, plug them in your headphones and listen to them as you go throughout the day? And just to get a feel or make a few little notes here or there if you pick up on things? Nah, it's more like where <clears throat> you got to do uh, like crossfades and stuff every time we punched in. Yeah. And like that's that's not a lot on this album. Um, and we could have done them at the time, but it's more just like I we were rushing through a lot. So I didn't do a lot of that editing because we had to... At the same time, you don't want to conform everything to, let's say, the drums. But, um, yeah, kind of go through it, fix up the stuff that you don't need to listen to anything else to fix, which is like a crossfade in a punch-in, and then go back through after and sort of hear, oh, shit, that vocal track has a hell bum note on it. We won't use that one. And just, you know, little things where we kept extras, which is mostly vocals in this case. And um, you kind of need the context of the song because listening to it on its own, I might go, oh, is that vocal sharp or whatever? And then you listen to it in the song, it's actually in tune. Whereas the thing that you thought was perfect is actually a bit sharp and maybe there's another track that had a better performance. And um, yeah, so it's a little bit time consuming only because you have to listen every time. Um, 
and that's the nature of multi-tracking as well. Like, um, I think it felt really good playing live the other day because despite, or actually Suffering Rot's a really good example in Bunbury, just everything felt like it was getting nailed. And I thought, oh man, that album would really have benefited from the whole band playing together live. Whereas, um, you know, it's just not feasible for us, especially with doing lots of overdubs and shit like that. Um, but yeah, there's got to be a point where you kind of got to make make it sound as though the whole band played it at one time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Edit, editing's such a funny thing, man. And it's such a fickle area where people, oh, Britney Spears is fucking quantized and auto-tuned and all this kind of crap. <laughs> but but all the same tools just not used to excess realistically are used on every single album ever in the whole world including shit on analog tape in the 70s like you know they drop in they cut in and out they do all this kind of stuff because realistically you're not going to have the exact performance you want on the exact day that you decide that that's when you're going to lay the riff mm-hmm. and if you don't like if you if you say oh no that was shit I'll do it again it's going to turn into like a winter something and it'll take 10 years to come out. Yeah. Like, you know, there's at, at the end of the day, there's the glory of playing everything in one take and being perfect. And then there's just sort of reality, like we're coming home from days of work to do this kind of stuff and, you know, cylinders aren't firing. So we do the best we can or do what we feel is right at the time. And then when you go to edit, it's like, oh shit, you know? Um, that the guitar is slightly not quite working with the drums there and one thing is going to have to change if it's noticeable you know but if it's not noticeable and that's where we're getting at with this album is that you know if it's just feeling good it doesn't need to be touched mm-hmm. i think that's more the takeaway rather than don't edit full stop yep cool well said interesting stuff mm. and uh and then where to from them i think so we still have a few little touch-ups here and there a bit of little bits of tracking of some stuff and i guess um yeah get more ideas as you go along as well um maybe mm. ways to i don't know bring out vocals in one song or uh, any cool other ideas like that um mm. yeah definitely that and that's part of the editing thing as well is that yeah you kind of if i'm thinking about how a mix is going to happen whether i mix it or someone else does um, it's not so much about giving someone shitloads of options like, oh, maybe this will be better than this or something. It's more like, okay, does that part feel like it's, let's say, too thin, for example? Could it benefit from another layer of vocals, not just doubling what's already there, but let's say using a different mic and singing a different, um, you know, a different octave or something like that, you know, like... Um, the whole idea about mixing is that people think it's like the the turd polishing zone. Mm. Um, but you can only kind of do that so much and often it's very see-through when you've done shit like that. Like it's better to provide someone with all the colors there that you might need. Um, it's hard to talk about because we haven't done it, but the intro to your new song, which is the acoustic intro with everyone singing on it. Yeah. Um, so it's just acoustic guitar and then like a bunch of um, layers of vocals. Cabot did pretty last minute, like a kind of a, a gruff, low, folky sounding voice. And it's 
I'm finding that it sounds very cool, just like just coming in on certain lines and thickening it out. Whereas the whole time, it's kind of like too intense, like the whole way. Um, and it's just little things like that. Like maybe, maybe those can be redone, just a line here or there, just to give it a bit of oomph or whatever. And, you know, just, I don't know, little things like that, that you don't think of while you're trying to piece together a fucking album. And it's good to be able to leave that to the end of editing because instead of trying to just shove it in and figure out where it is, I might suggest something and Cabba might go, well, I've listened to the sort of the rough after it's been edited and I don't think it's required. I think it sounds fine. In fact, I think it would be too much. Or maybe maybe like, what are those vocals doing there? And we can, we can make decisions before we sit in and mix and try and get everything to work because some things might not be necessary. Great, awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything more to add to that, but I like it. Also, that cider looks delicious. It's not bad. It tastes like wine, though, like oh, yeah. Chardonnay. It's weird. Did you notice they were serving mulled wine at the venue the other night? <clears throat> I did notice that. Didn't buy any. No, same. But, yeah, I do... N- I like a bit of mulled wine. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, what else? Uh... Bellacore were over here uh, after we did our little podcast with Stephen Merry. Oh, yeah. We haven't, haven't chatted that, since then. No, nah, that show was pretty killer. I reckon those guys have improved with their, not only their music, how it goes down live, but just like their playing together. Mm-hmm. It just it's felt really cohesive. Not that it didn't last time we saw them, but just, I don't know, there was a cool kind of energy there and... I think the what came up for me out of it was that venue was way too loud. Oh, yeah. I mean, even Amps this weekend seemed... I mean, every time you go, it seems louder than the last time, but I think that mm. um, that show, that Velical show was particularly loud. Mm. It was brutal, man. It, my ears were still screeching two days later. Yeah, and a lot, yeah, a lot of the time it's just to the point where it's just a big blast of noise and you just can't even really hear what's going on a lot of the time I mean, they're, overall their, their set was obviously st- yeah still awesome you could still still hear all their stuff but some of the support bands I think it's a bit harder when they're just blared that loud mm. yeah because when you know the songs you're sort of listening for stuff but yeah yeah for sure mm. they're obviously doing um doing the right thing so it was a pretty huge turnout for a uh, you know an Australian band touring over to Perth to still have a a very very healthy turnout like that yeah so good signs for sure um anything you really took away from our chat with steve in the last episode uh yes most definitely the big thing would be once again just gear like a uh, music gear because he talked about the opposite of that which was using all sorts of different stuff he'd never tried before and in the studio and um effects and virtual instruments and everything but kind of surprised me that all of the keyboards on every other bellacore album have just been you know what a keyboard you can buy off ebay for 600 bucks and it made me think because i'm always worried that what i have is shit (laughs) you know so you know you know me i go trying to buy guitars and pedals and amps and all this sort of bullshit to allow our sound to be just the maximum it can be but ah oh, maybe it's that old reality check where yeah these things can be great but so can just a run-of-the-mill thing or you know tried and tested piece of gear it doesn't have to be expensive 
not that that's ever been my motto, but it certainly doesn't have to be expensive in order to be good. Yeah. Um, yeah, what about you? Uh, yeah, I thought the whole lot was pretty interesting and quite a few answers that I wasn't really expecting from him, to be honest. But uh, probably the big thing for me I thought was interesting how, um, you know, like this Australian tour that they've got, which is, what, five or six shows, and... Yeah, they were up to like show five and already had enough of touring for the new album already. So I thought mm. that was amusing. And I, th- I think that's cool. Um, you know, it just shows that bands just need to do what's right for them. And for them, it's not, you know, even though I'm sure they could uh, be touring every day of the year, that's that's not what they want out of it. They're happy just doing the writing and getting a bit of exposure and getting to a few different places here and there. Uh without having to be constantly touring or anything like that. So I thought that was really interesting, really cool. Um, especially, yeah, when you, you do the comparison, obviously, or with Nabal Lascaris all the time. So they're sort of opposite ends of the spectrum, even though, you know, the, the music style and the popularity is probably pretty on par. It's just bands decide to take different different routes with um, what they want to do. And it makes you think about us, and, you know, we just do, we're pretty content being somewhere in the middle there. You know, I guess mm. touring when we can, as much as we can without going overboard. And, you know, if we get a few per year, that's pretty good. Um, but, you know, always keep writing and, and jamming and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I reckon what is hard to... It like If I was on the, you know, two, a devil and an angel on each shoulder, and the devil obviously is Nebula Viscaris, and they're sitting there and saying that, you know... Um, Oh yeah, but Bellacore exhausted because they have to come home from tour every week, um, so they can work and make a living. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because we think of it, we hear it and we go, "Oh, they've played five shows over a bunch of weeks," where we're not really considering what their lives are entailing, and that's more flights than you'd probably usually do. So that would probably fucking exhaust us, as opposed to five shows in a row. Big time, and it's the same as recording with us, like even if you're recording every weekend like you go into work during the week and then you know you only have two days of recording that sounds okay but that's every weekend for an extended period mm. of time and it is exhausting so i imagine touring would be the same if you're doing you know three four weekends in a row of coming home going to work flying back out again packing up getting another flight the flying thing is brutal it does suck man and as much as it was really nice to have a cool show, go down to Bunbury and turnouts be damned, have a great show there and hang out and have fun and realise why we like music and why we got into this and it was really, you know, wicked chilling with all those other dudes. The other side of it is that two more days of that and missing a few days and the hassle at work of getting leave and we didn't have to get leave for this, like... All of that shit, it just gets so maddening. So like you say, like it's cool to book a few weeks straight as anyone would on a holiday, whether they stay home to babysit their kid while they're on school holidays or whether they're going on a trip to, you know, wine country in Spain. Who the <laughs> fuck does that? Um, you know, like getting a bit of a run together, but then for the rest of the year, just to the naked eye, we're just normal human beings. Uh, and I like that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I just love hearing um, hearing it all from different people's perspectives. I think it's it's fascinating. Um, 
Yeah, and then the same with their recording process. And he he went on for a while a bit about the um the cover artwork for each of the albums, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Um, which obviously you can go back and listen to that episode to uh, to get an idea of it. Um, yeah, and I guess how they got the 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 big record deal with Napalm Records. So I was expecting him to sort of come out and say either you know they really headhunted him or or they sent some big application or you know Napalm would be expecting them to play 200 shows a year in turn for that but it was just nothing like that at all it was just a lot more casual um you know and he was saying they they sent him a demo like years and years ago and never even followed up and just sort of got an email one day saying what are you guys doing for the new album and it happened and you know and then they've sort of still got the freedom to tour a lot or not at all if they want and it shouldn't really affect any of that um I think yeah. that's what it's about too. Like whether you are playing a hundred shows in other countries in a year or five shows in your own country, it's it's good to just do what you want to do. And as a band, and we we've had enough members in our band and had enough members playing in other bands to know that <clears throat> you know, like just because you get offered shit, sometimes you don't necessarily want to do it. And the experience as a whole might be good but it still might not be enjoyable at the time. It's more of a retrospective experience sort of thing. And fuck, man, I remember some tours I've been on in the past where I was broke as shit and you just get offered like, hey, do you want to do a tour over East? Sure. Okay, we booked it. It's going to be every weekend in capital cities for (laughs) one month. And then you're having weeks off in between. And it's like not weeks off where you can come back to Perth because that's too expensive. It's cheaper to actually stay over east. And, yeah, you know, that particular tour I'm referring to was one of the best times I've ever had. It was fucking awesome fun. Just And it was hanging with, um, with my buddy and seeing a lot of stuff because you're stuck in places you wouldn't normally be in. But as a whole, I came back to Perth as if I'd been away for a year and couldn't <laughs> believe I had a job. And also couldn't believe that after that much playing, I still had to work. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's such a bizarre sort of thing. It can go, fuck, I, I just don't even understand what my life has been. Hey, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But we got to this point, right? Like, it's That's pretty it. cool. I mean, you look back at all these things and you just remember how awesome they all are and you sort of forget how exhausted you were at the time. Mm. Mm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I am looking forward to some touring. I, I guess, like, um, to start rounding this sucker out. Yep. Uh, first of all, I'd like to wish Razor Ray a happy birthday. Oh yes. Um. So, uh, big three cheers for Razor Ray. Hip hip hakume. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, of course, tune into episode fifty-five where you can hear us chatting to Razor Ray, um, about Virgin Steel for a long time. Yeah, I've been listening to a bit of Virgin Steel actually. It's it's not bad at all <laughs> the I think it's called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell or is that something else I don't know anyway something about getting married in hell possibly it's pretty good <laughs> were you but, in um, the middle of saying something before <clears throat> yeah I was going to say that so the album's recorded we're going to edit and mix over the next month or so and we've got artwork I don't know if we've mentioned that before but that's sort of been more or less finalised um completely different direction pretty stoked about it gonna take some shitty band photos to stick in the book much to my chagrin and um and then yeah probably shop it around a bit and now that we've played this show we're probably looking at 
maybe like a January release ish. Would you say? So- sounds like the way, yeah. And possibly follow that up with a, a tour. Yeah, if all goes to plan, that's how long until January? Like five months. Mm. Is that too little? I don't know. You can never have enough time, but you know, just that whole like process of um, a little bit of label shopping, or if that fails, setting up you know pre-orders, getting merch organised, pressing, and all that. Um, and then yeah, if all goes to plan, a bit of an Aussie tour in January to launch that properly, um, which would be cool to take around a new product to some different cities. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see what next year brings. And, you know, I don't think it's too early to start firing out some emails to places in other countries as well, which we've already been doing, and just see if we get any any bites on a few emails and then to get some direction as to where you want to head, I guess. See how all that pans out. This time next year, what would you like to... Like, give us your top three accomplishments. Oh, yeah. This time next year. Where are we? August. Mm. I'd be pretty happy. Personally, I guess, have the album out in January, released to a, uh, on a, you know, a moderately global metal label, uh, with an Australian tour in January, Uh, maybe a little Asian run somewhere a few months later. Uh, a month in Europe, getting on some festivals over there, and then probably having an American thing booked for the following January on like a 70,000 tons again or something like that. And that'd probably, Mm. I'd be, that'd be in a perfect world. I'd obviously be content with a bit less or, you know, whatever else might come up between now and then. Uh, Mm. Yeah. How does that sound to you? Sounds really good. And I like this long-term sort of approach. And it's always been that way, hasn't it? We've Me always too. And I, I didn't things. also throw in there as well that I'd also like to be having some new songs in there between then where we're still writing and whatnot. And with the long-term approach, having a plan of when we're going to start recording again as well and not, not lose that like we have in the past. Mm. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And man, i got to say, I fucking loved writing this album this time. Mm. Um, it felt like at the same time, so independent as well as so together. It was really cool. I yep. fucking enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it sucked last time that we... It felt like we had this big break after Triumph and Beyond um, and you're feverishly writing in the background and then all of a sudden it's like an album is upon us and it felt like we didn't have a process. Yeah, And then... We just went and did the same thing where we just fucking didn't do anything for a, a year and a half, two years. And um, yeah, then we made a real good run of actually writing. So yeah, to kind of maybe keep that up because you get a bit, I find I get a bit disillusioned if I'm not actually like making anything yeah. in the meantime. And I'm wondering like, why am I going to this rehearsal room? What have I got to live for if there's only, <laughs> if I'm going to be jamming the same set this week? Like what's the point? And we, we've chatted about um, bringing up some older songs to start jamming again as well that, you know, we've never even played live despite them being on CDs of ours before. So that could keep things fresh <coughs> and interesting too. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when you when you talk about that because as far as drums go, I've at least played all of those songs in their f- entirety one time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
But some of them, it's literally only when I played it in the recording studio. Yeah. Because, I mean, for Forged in Flame is the best example of that. We really didn't jam it, a lot of those songs together. And I only played them on an electric kit before recording them on an acoustic kit. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, it felt foreign. That whole experience was a bit foreign to me. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, um, yeah, this album, maybe that's why it feels great because we were jamming. We literally jammed every song on this album fucking hundreds of times, which was cool. Yeah, yeah so, definitely. So, I s- still lift it up a notch as well. I reckon there's things we could still improve on. Like, so I love the process as well, but um, it did almost feel a bit by the end. It was just like constant writing every day and jamming and jamming and jamming. Whereas uh, we could, you know, if we started it a bit earlier in the uh, the previous album's cycle, I guess, um, yeah. Don't you know what would set it off too? Mm. Is, um, and, and just this two weeks of practice has reminded me, I feel invincible when I've been doing practice. Yeah. Right. And on Triumph and Beyond, just before that, it helped that I was playing in two bands, two heavily gigging bands at the time. So I was like just comfortable on the drums, but I was I was taking lessons back then, and I felt yeah. I could just like uh, um, accommodate any situation on the kit. Whereas this time, we yeah we rented a room out for a month, and that was great, but we were just practicing the songs the whole time. So I think what would really be the ultimate would be to like all be doing individual practice and trying to better ourselves you know, add our instruments and, and step up. I think we do that with songwriting by writing ch- more challenging stuff, but to actually like technique-wise, like like get real solid at our fundamentals and brush up on all the shit that we usually keep up with jamming, but they never get better from just mm. jamming. It's like, I heard a thing about, you know, the 10,000 hours thing to be a yeah. pro or whatever. And that that's a whole, the guy who originally thought of it um, who wasn't the one who made it successful, he said everyone's missing one thing and that it's, it's supposed to be 10,000 10, hours of, I'm going to get this wrong, but of like structured uh, practice or structured learning or structured something, um, dedicated time towards the art as opposed to just doing something for 10,000 hours. Because mm-hmm. we all know someone, like, I've easily played 10,000 hours worth of drums over my life, but I'm still not, you know, Raymond Herrera from Fear Factory good because I can see D Manufacturer. <laughs> but yeah, it would be cool to keep that up. I've heard it, yeah, you hear some variations of those ones as well. Some people say, you know, it takes 10 years to become a pro or something, but like you say, it depends what you're doing in that time. So um, I've heard people say you do something a thousand times and that will get you really pro at it. So if you were drumming, for example, you know, rather than just doing uh, uh, however many hours of anything you want, if you pick out one thing, like it might be blast beating or it might be double kicks or whatever it is, and once you do that a thousand times, then you'd start to nail that particular uh, style of whatever you're trying to learn. Or guitars, it might be sweep, sweep picking or something. If you do a thousand um, run-throughs of some sort of sweep, eventually you'll you'll start nailing it as opposed to just hours be times of a certain thing. Mm. Yeah, weird. Anyway, let's not crap on too much longer. I've got to eat let's dinner. Let's uh, shit off. Are we going to do anything at the end of this, like a song? None of ours, uh, surely. Yeah, definitely not any of ours. I had a great idea for a song a 
a couple of weeks ago. I should have written it down and I'm not, now I've totally lost it. It's going to be a hell fucking funny thing. But maybe it should be something like, um, I don't know, because of our friend Jim who has been back recently and I've been loving his company. <laughs> um, maybe just a tribute to Jim and play some live Marduk from when Legion yeah. was in the band. <laughs> Sold. Cool. Pick something out and surprise us. All right, I will do. And fuck <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> cool, cool man. man good stuff we'll chat again soon and uh, thanks for tuning in and listening to us as always www.claimthethrone.fuckyou you